listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. The button's been pushed on two things. The episode and a new series. Oh, tell me more, Bracken. Well, you and I both came to this meeting prepared with a series idea. And if we're both spending Mm -hmm. time on the weekend thinking it's time for a Training Tuesday series, it's time for a Training Tuesday series. Well, and we very ceremoniously flipped a water bottle cap to decide if it was going to be Bracken's idea for a series or my idea for a series both i like equally and that's true biased or not and it landed on bracken's idea for a series bottle cap was face down bracken won way to go champ it's your series time to shine although it happened off camera i can't verify part of me thinks you're just placating me and i'm okay with that do you take me as a trustworthy feller yes but trustworthy doesn't mean honest hmm. it doesn't not if mean it's for honest. the benefit you know I'm good for it. Listen, my idea I think would take less brain power. So if <laughs> so, point being is you win, you win. I do have a quick question for you though before we dive into this. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to make sense of your screen name today. It says "Gimme Weeks." Does it? Well, Gimme weeks, weeks? weeks. It said "Gimme give give Six Weeks." Well, it's oh, it's, I was like, is this and a Lauren Weeks reference? Is this <laughs> no. <laughs> no? Gimme. I was like, is there something I don't know about? No, it's like, give me six weeks, but then I looked back and there was a typo in there because I was reaching around my mic trying to type one-handed, and I must have deleted mm. the six. <laughs> I, that makes I, more sense. Okay. We, we had talked six in the last weeks episode. We, we had talked in the last episode about how I'm doing all the structural things right now so that I can do the next things, and I think I'm six weeks away from the next things. I'm feeling really mm. – I always get this. Whenever I go back to doing these – structural type training workouts. So things with lunges, sled bull, sled pulls, stair work, incline running. I feel like I progress by leaps and bounds. Suddenly I just start feeling myself. Mm-hmm. And then I know I shouldn't progress yet, but I feel like I could. And I'm already two weeks into it feeling like, all right, the bad soreness is done and I'm feeling <clears> whole <throat> again. And I want to start ripping. So I make myself not rip yet, but I think six weeks from now, mm-hmm. I'm going to be ready to get nasty, Kirk. Okay. So insert the number six in there and then your screen name. Then I would ask like, what's in six weeks, right? So either way, yeah. you would have got a question out of me. Yeah. All right. Well, All right. Good. So kicking the series off, this is a series for all the people who are questioning how to drive their own training plan. And we get a lot of these questions. And in some form, whether it's, I want to write my own training or you're writing my training, but I have these requests and it basically comes down to this whole series is about how do we take what we know to be true, best practiced for best practice for any style of training, but make it palatable for an individual person. So what is best? What would a pro do? What would a pro coach do? What would all the current literature say to do? And then what is your form of that? Knowing that you're not going to do it or you don't like it or it doesn't work for you. What is, how do you learn what you should do and then learn what you will do and then mold the two together? That's this mini series here. Yep. We've got, uh, what, three planned episodes. 
Well, we're going to dive into specifics as of now. So a three-part mini-series, in a sense, customizing training for you. Whether that yes. means like learning what your body responds to, or if your training ADD has a hold of you and you have the most difficult time following simple progressions, or if one shiny object you want to grab leads to the next, or you're stuck in your routine and all you want to do is go to the track and do your 400-meter repeats every week. What we're trying mm-hmm. to do is address both ends of the spectrum here. The workout ADD person, the one who's stuck in their routine and rut and needs to be shook, and then who is taking all the advice out there from all these wonderful resources, like what to do with it, how to make sense of it for you, I would say. Yes. Would you say that's accurate? Now, I'm spitballing here because this was your idea, but that's how I'm looking at this. Yeah, yeah, and I want to dive right into this. And I'm going to start with the <clears throat> heading. The heading for this, the title is Boring is Best, Unless You Need Excitement. <laughs> I, I like just leaving it at boring is best, but let's leave the you know, very small subtitles unless you need it. Unless you need Can excitement. we agree on that? 100%. Because if you take a look at anyone's training, and I, I've said this before, we talked about this on why are so many records being broken? Why is running at the, why are we living in the fastest time period in the history of the world from a distance running standpoint? And we just had another world record get broken this weekend. The, the woman's marathon record got beat by two minutes. Smash. She, she ran 2.11. Just mind blown. Like what was that? Almost a three minute improvement on the previous world record or something like that she averaged 501 per mile well and you know what's interesting is we talk about technology we talk about track surfaces or shoe Mm -hmm. technology or any of that stuff i'm i was just on the treadmill doing a quality session you know down a youtube rabbit hole like i always am and you're even seeing course records and meet records being smashed on the cross-country courses Mm -hmm. like maybe shoe technology plays into it oh the smallest fraction, if anything, on a cross course. Yeah. Yet still, like what I'm getting at is training has progressed. People are truly getting better. Whether technology or not was involved, we'd see records fall. Yeah. And I was saw two boys. I saw the boys and girls meet records go down. I saw a collegiate cross-country record go down. And we're seeing this continuing to trend over time. So technology aside, I think it comes down to the training more than it comes down to the technology. I firmly do believe that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we live in this day and age where you can find what the pros are doing easier and in, in, in greater detail than ever before. I've said this on here before, but when I first graduated college and was trying to write my own training and trying to coach high school, I was reading everything I could get. And you could only find it. You could only find information on forums, you'd hear rumors. In books, published books, you would get a watered-down version of what pros are doing, or you would get the glamorous version of what pros are doing, or you would watch people speak at conferences. Occasionally, you could find a news article or a magazine article where they talked about it. For example, I found Alberto Salazar and Galen Rupp, an article about them. It was a day-in-the-life type thing, but they talked about their two-week microcycles that they would run, A weeks and B weeks, and they'd run 20 weeks of those. Rest, run 20 more weeks, and take their off-season. And you had to take everything at face value and then extrapolate what could be going on. And now you have people sitting down for podcasts and giving all the details minus maybe some very minute pieces that they don't want you hearing. But you can find everything about everyone's training. And you know what it all comes down to? Is that the very best pros have the most simplistic, boring training that you will ever find. Yeah. 
I agree with you. Although I will say, I still think there's a little bit of mystery with like the top 1% of the pros. Like, sure, we know, we always reference Jakob Ingebrigtsen and maybe Mm -hmm. their double threshold training. We don't know the exact sessions. If you look at like any of the big teams, like we have an idea. We have an idea. Maybe you know better than I do, but I feel like you step down just a hair and then you take all these podcasts and wealth of knowledges and previous athletes who are now coaches or some sort of uh, endurance influencer and they're laying out what they've done through years, how they're coaching their athletes. I still think there's a mystery in the top, the very top. Maybe you don't, but I think below that we're, we, we're getting everything secondhand, mm-hmm. which is still the information. And you're correct. So Jakob will talk in depth about the systems they train and the structure, but he won't give specific workouts. However, then we find out, well, they go to South Africa to do their training each off season. And they're always training with people. And you just look at those people's Stravas. It's like, we did 10 by thousand in the morning and we did 15 by 400 in the evening. You know, it's, it's the, the, the the examples are still there in the past. You would have to just guess. And now you like, uh, Eliud Kipchoge, he works out with a group of people, and anyone is welcome to show up and run his workouts. You have other marathoners and 10K guys showing up. So even if his training's not on Strava, theirs is. And so the, sure. the, the amount of mystery is much smaller. And so we do get to see what they're doing. Sometimes it's them actually telling us, like uh, Gustav Eden and Christian Blumenfeld will actually tell us. They'll film their training. They'll, t- they'll put on the screen exactly their session. Uh, the Ingebrigtsen's won't but their training partners will. So you can, if you're willing to dig a little deeper, most of the mystery is gone and their coaches can't stop bragging about it. I just read an article with Mike the- Smith, how they integrate their version of the double threshold training down at NAU, both with his college team and then with his pro athletes. And they love it. They love talking about it because it's this brand new shiny toy that they're all playing with. I don't mean to get tangential right now, but oh, yeah. you made me think of something. Um, I do, just as a preface to whatever we're going to talk about, I don't exactly know where this conversation is going to go. Can I pause you? But I am. Can I tangent your tangent? Yeah. First of all, I, I if haven't we were started a radio tangenting show, yet. If we were a radio show, we would have some sort of sound effect that played every time someone said, no, I don't, every time the word tangent got used or rabbit hole. Oh my goodness. Uh-huh. But what well, is a tangent? Like mathematically definition, what is a tangent? If you run the tangents, if you use a tangent. Well, technically, it should be the probably quicker way to get to the end result, right? The tangent yeah, would be the shortest, distance, the shortest between, distance between two points, yeah. right? So this would be – what's the opposite of a tangent? Yeah, I don't know. Derail the conversation for a moment? That would be so, off the tracks? I'm curious where the term tangential came from, which means not point to point. But continue on with the actual tangent. Although tangential mean? means point to point. <sighs> Somebody tell us who's smarter than we are. What I was going to say – is if you took a cache, C-A-C-H-E, cache of 20 workouts, I think you could give 20 workouts to Coach A, 20 workouts to Coach B, and 20 workouts to Coach C. And by the end of the season, if you put those workouts in misguided hands, you would have very different results for their athletes by the end of the season. I think the magic sauce has less to do with what the work, well, I shouldn't say that, equally to do with what the workouts are themselves as to where the workouts are placed within their season periodized appropriately. You could have all the best workouts in the world that Jakob Ingebrigtsen is doing 
and mash them up, put them in a blender, turn them on their head and not have the same result at the end of the season because they were not placed at the appropriate time. So Mm -hmm. I think the magic sauce has as much to do with when the workouts are executed, everybody runs 400 meter repeats, than what the workout specifically is. I would like to get your take on that. Yeah, I just had this situation arise. I have an athlete who started working with a uh, with Corinna actually after this last <clears throat> I- interview we had her on, and this athlete said, uh, "Corinna would like to see our training. Are you okay if I share it?" And I said, "Absolutely. You mm-hmm. share it to whoever you want, because I don't believe looking at our training would allow anyone else to be a, like steal our stuff and be a great coach. Not that I'm calling myself right. a great coach, but seeing it on paper, you did. You just did." You just did. You just called yourself a great no coach. One's and that's put, okay. I think you are. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But no one's going to put me out of business by knowing the workouts I use. You're not going to supplant me by knowing even every single workout that I've given an athlete over the course of three years until you knew mm-hmm. the why. Until you had the rationale. Not that I don't trust Corinna. In fact, I said, Corinna, let's get on a call and I can go over the why so you understand what we're doing and you can match nutritional needs to what we're trying to do and what we're trying to Mm -hmm. accomplish. But yeah, this like real world example that I just ran into, which is I don't care if my training gets out there because it doesn't mean anything to anyone unless you were in on our Zoom calls and heard why we're doing it and why we moved this workout up or pushed it back by three days and why we followed it up with the next workout. Yeah, I very much, very much agree with it. And that tangent was... To then preface saying, sure, we know that, again, just to use the Ingebrigtsons, which we probably need to stop because we reference them too much. But like, sure, they do double threshold training. But when, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when does it happen? And how is it, the nuance, how is it nuanced based on where they're at in their cycle and their A races? There's like so much more to this conversation. And we've talked about periodized training plans for athletes in the past and maybe we need to readdress because i don't know if that's what we're touching on today as much as like our, the workouts themselves maybe mm-hmm. or the overview of do you understand what i'm getting at like yeah. we just i just wanted to make sure that was talked about like where the puzzle pieces are put are is as important as the puzzle pieces themselves and i don't know if we're going to be talking about that today but felt like that should have been a preface today. at least for me i think either next time right. or the time after we will but yeah today is mostly about I mean, there will be some talk of the flow of the season, but mostly the day-to-day existence of the highest level of training. And Alec Blennis actually posted about this last week, I think, uh, which is coincidental. I guess he just always thinks about some things we think about or vice versa. We seem to reference his posts from time to time. But he said, anytime I've had the opportunity to look at a professional athlete's training plan, I'm always shocked by how simple it is. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's the essence of this is that if you look at any of these top people, the workouts are boring. That for every one of those famous workouts out there, like what are some of the most famous workouts you've ever heard of in the track world? I would say the Michigan. The Michigan is this famous workout warhorse. Warhols has it up there where it's this standard workout that everyone, whoever has come through that program has run and Alan Webb ran it and Nate Brennan ran it. And anyone who's ever come through there has a time on it. I think Nick Willis has done it. And you know, like if you do this on the Mm -hmm. Michigan and it's this convoluted multiple distances, multiple different rest times and intensities. And uh, if you want to Google the Michigan, that's probably one of the most famous ones I've heard of. What, What else do you have that's, if you had to think of famous track workouts? The Lumberjack, maybe. I don't even technically know what the Lumberjack is. Some two-mile buy-in, some 800, some cute stuff in the middle. What's the Oregon um, one? I don't know exactly. The 200 on, 200 float for – is that the, the – Yeah. The 
what's it, the Dillinger or whatever? I was reading Prefontaine's training. Uh, where did I find his thing? In some YouTube rabbit hole last week, and it was interesting, and it was a version of a, a in and outs, right? He might go mm-hmm. quarter mile in at 4.30 pace, quarter mile out at 5.30 pace. He was doing these float style that, workouts. That's the one. It's like the Dillinger or something. Very similar. Gale yeah, Rucks they were outlining what Pre did, and he did it. Mm-hmm. Just very interesting, yes. Yeah. So anyways, for every one of those great famous workouts, there's like 50 other examples of athletes who are world record holders who have never done something that had a name. It's just three minutes on, one minute off for 10 rounds. So yeah. what I want to get into is let's give examples of why boring is best and drive it home that at the very top end, you don't want flash. You don't want extra pieces in the mix. You don't need all this crazy seasoning. People want the most boring basic workouts possible. So I think we should start with just the biggest named world record holders of our era. You pick one and let's break down their training. Well, can I pre- well, another preface? A lot of pre- yeah. It's going to be an episode of prefaces. I run under the principle. We talk about like boring is best if that's what we're going with, today, mm-hmm. which I agree with you. What I find is that people try to get too cute for the sake of getting too cute, whether it's to appease their athletes if they're a coach. Like, I can't possibly prescribe the same four workouts over and over because they're going to think they're not getting their money's worth or they're going to get bored or they're going to think this isn't good training because I'm not being creative enough. And it really drives me nuts that thinking that because I'm repeating something or because it's not flashy or, oh, I could have made up this workout on my own. Why am I paying somebody for this? Um, It's a secret pet peeve of mine as a coach that change is asked for for the sake of change. And I believe that we should do the least, and you've said this before, the least amount of variables possible to induce progress. If we're already progressing with boring type workouts, why on earth would you throw ingredients into the mix that aren't needed to make the soup better? It's already good and it's getting better with what you're currently doing. So adding in a bunch of crazy stimulus or fancy stuff because of your workout ADD or whatever, I understand if that keeps you motivated, fine, but less, the least you can get away with for progress also translate to the least you can get away with workout creativity wise to continue moving the needle it's only once we plateau that we need to look at maybe adding or changing Mm -hmm. or reformatting but i just really strongly believe that we should do as little as possible to progress meaning i don't need 10 workouts in my cache maybe i need six and different versions of those six if i'm progressing no need to get cute for no reason just wanted to say that off the top yeah exactly and and it's it's the idea that Not the idea, the fact that the human body is a master of responding to outside stress or stimulus, a master of it, but it's also a master of getting used to what it's doing. And the more it gets used to it, the more efficient it gets at reacting to it. And so if you give it that constant, what was the old uh, term, uh, muscle confusion, muscle confusion approach, it's just constantly in reacting mode, but it's never really refining the process. Where if you get it steady, if you give it steady doses of anything, it's going to learn to milk every possible adaptation out of those doses, and then you change it. You make a micro change to the dose, and you get this new benefit that you react to, and then you get used to reacting to that, and you get better at reacting to that. And so you can just extend your long-term progression by not going for confusion. 
not going for variation, Mm -hmm. going for consistency and micro changes. That's the way to advance. A coach's genius is not in the millions of workouts that they can come up with because ChatGBT can do that. Mm. AI can give you a million workouts. Google search can give you a million. It's not about pushing the button a crazy amount of times. The best thing a coach can do is tell you when it's appropriate to push the button or to not push the button. Mm. Just hold off. We're not going to push it yet. Nope. Hold off again. Hold off again. We can make it another two weeks. We can make another three. You're paying a coach to tell you not to change as much as you're paying a coach to tell you, let's change things. Preach, brother. I uh I equated to like if you were on a your goal was weight loss you needed to lose weight you're unhealthy and you get on a nutrition plan and you lose weight and you're losing weight and you're losing weight and then everything's going really well but for some reason you just like decide to change the script for mm-hmm. no reason when this perfectly good nutrition plan is helping you progress it's like if you were doing that you wouldn't change it of course you wouldn't if you were progressing you would stay the course with your nutrition plan on what you're doing until you plateaued, stop progressing, and then you would micro change or start to futz to progress again. Like you would never think of doing that with a nutrition plan that was working, would you? Like why would I change it if it, I'm progressing? So I think the same should apply to your run fitness as well. Like if I, and the, again, this is the caveat is if, if you are progressing, but when a simple, boring training plan is actually followed, you should be progressing Mm -hmm. so there isn't a lot of need for change off very often but um let's go down now that we got that out of the way you wanted to go down a specific athlete track yeah so what i want to do is start with giving real life examples that pros believe boring is best and then go from there and then talk about why again boring is best and then talk about if it doesn't matter to you you have to have variation how do you apply boring as best principles to constant variation so because i don't want to just see like i'm teeing myself up to prove my point i want you to choose a random well-known athlete and then i will break down what we know about their training and then let the audience decide if it's boring or not um you're gonna force me to talk i will well okay let's talk about the uh can we talk about the bowerman crew yeah yeah and if you go back even further to the group that started basically the need for the bowerman track club which was the nike oregon project led by Salazar and was formed around Galen Rupp and then Mo Farah. They ran the same two-week couplet for 10 cycles twice per year. So they would do... Why don't you outline that? So they would have a two-week microcycle. They would run A and B intervals, A and B tempos, and long runs. So A week would be shorter, faster than race pace intervals. We're talking like 30 by 200 or something like that. And then they would run, let's say, mile repeats six by mile and then b week would be longer versions of that so you might do the six or three by two mile or you might be on the road doing a 10 mile cut down or something like that but and i'm this is now we're going back 15 years but they so i'll forget some of the specific workouts but they basically had an overspeed and a speed week and they'd alternate between Mm -hmm. the two and they ran big volume and they did lots of reduced impact volume. So Alter G treadmill, they would do, Galen Rupp was famous for, he had, I believe, a 300 meter grass loop that he would do 10 to 12 mile runs on because he didn't want to take pounding. Salazar had them on trails all the time. They were doing as much volume as they could while still hitting their quality tent pole track sessions and their road tempos. And they would do A week, B week times 10 P 
peak for a competition, take a week or two off, do A week, B week times 10, peak for a world championship, take an off season. That's what Galen Rupp did for like a decade. Yeah. And his career was long. He, he competed well into what, his late 30s, was it? Yeah, he's getting there I now. He's still going to run the Olympic trials this year. He's still our number nope. one or two marathoner. But yeah, he's like 37, 8, well, how old is he? 37, I think, yeah. Something like that. Well, let's outline real quick. NAU piques my curiosity because I'm not familiar. A little more familiar with Kipchoge, a little more familiar with the Ingebrigtsens, not as familiar with NAU. So NAU is pretty famous for running some volume and running lots of work 10K or slower. So doing long intervals, doing tempo runs, doing long runs, quality long runs but just always keeping it, doing a lot of tempo work. And they, Mike Smith, since starting to work with more pro athletes, has started integrating in the double threshold system with them. And he does it in a, a limited capacity with his athletes because one thing NAU often does is they do crank pretty hard. And so they don't recover mm -hmm. with the same lack of intensity that the true double threshold programs do. And they're college kids. A lot of, you get 20 of the best college kids in the nation on one team and they're going to run pretty quick but so they they will do their yep. double threshold workout some of them do it once per week some do it every other week but they're pretty consistently running the same tempo workouts and threshold intervals and long runs all season long let's uh let's tell them how boring it is let's let's give them the examples of what let's walk the people through a four-week training cycle could we do that using an example i think just like how uh, oddly similar the sessions are from week to week. Why don't we, are you cool with that? Uh, let, let's do that with a pro group then because the college kids change theirs because they're racing cross and they're doing cross and track. Okay. I'm fine with whatever. I think just tangibles here would be important okay. so people can start to like relate it to their own training. Well, let's actually start with Kipchoge since he's the most famous runner of our time. So he went from running, I think, 1252 in the 5K world championship uh, he was runner-up outdoor. He won a world champ indoor, may have won a world championship outdoor, and then went to the roads and became the greatest marathoner of all time, set the world record at least three times, and became the first person to dip under two. And he runs the exact same training block for every single race he runs. He does 20 to 30K long runs, half of which are cutdowns. He does some version of 10 by 1,000 on the track weekly, and then he does threshold runs. He'll do one to two track sessions a week, and, one, and then sometimes a tempo run in lieu of one of them. That's his training every single week that he's healthy and building for a race. So 12 to 20 mile long runs, a version of thousand meter repeats, and then some sort of prescribed tempo or threshold work in the long run. We're looking run at three off, pillars to the week and yeah. And, and then we're look, so we're looking at three pillars to his week and then everything else would be mostly whatever recovery running looks like for a guy like Elliot Kipchoge, which I don't even know if he's one of those who shuffles at eight minute pace he shuffles. or if he's a six minute, six oh, he, minute recovery run guy. I don't know. He lightly prances at eight-minute pace to nine-minute pace to start his runs out and lets it go where it goes. But he is famous for running slow on recovery days. And then he runs 10K work pretty much every single week on the track year-round and does his 20 to 30K long runs with a lot of it at or above marathon pace. All right. Should we get specific? Do you know more specifics? So 10 to 12 by 1,000 is a very common session that he runs, and he runs a lot of those between, I think he's right around two-minute rest. 
So a thousand on two minutes rest. Right around that rest. I think they modulate the rest a little bit, but every single week, essentially, he's doing some version of thousands, whether it's thousands or twelve hundreds or eights. But most common session is ten to twelve by thousand meter run on the track all year round. Well, let's talk about that. Let's say we were going to commit to thousand meter repeats for the next six months. Like every week I'm doing thousand meter repeats. You're like, geez, Mm -hmm. like what would you be able to do with this simple and in quotes, boring session to make it sustainable? So you don't lose your mind, for example, how would you look at that session? Well, you would start, keep it boring and effective. You would start with the session that you can complete on day one feeling good. I think that's the most important thing that the pro camps do that the average person doesn't, is they don't try to PR week one of a workout. They try to execute week one of a workout and leave room to improve. Okay. What would that look like? So let's say for you and I, if we were going to go to do this, let's say his workout is 10 to 12 by 1,000. On week one, you commit to either doing 10 reps at the most appropriate effort, or you commit to running a singular pace for the most appropriate reps. But either way, you start on an acceptable effort week one that you build from. And it almost doesn't matter which one you start from. It depends probably if you're training for track and roads or trails and mountains, but week one is choosing a rep scheme that makes a ton of sense that you can build from there. So it means either doing, I'm running, three minutes per thousand until I exceed an eight out of 10 RPE Mm -hmm. or I'm running all 10 reps and I don't care what pace I run. I'm not exceeding an eight out of 10 on any one given rep and I'm getting done with it. Mm -hmm. I find when starting a cycle, um, erring on the side of caution with your expectations and your pacing is the absolute best way to feel successful. Let's say... The thought, let's go 10 by a thousand with two minutes rest. Let's just say whatever a common Kipchoge workout is. He knows that if he turned himself inside out, he could go run two thirties, let's say over and over and over. So let's say he knew he could when he's looking to peak or perform his best. Well, maybe in workout one, he starts at three minutes and he knows methodically, like I'm going to start at three. I'm going to run 258, then I'm going to run 256, then I'm going to run 254. And I'm only going to end about where I start to reach at an 8 out of 10, and then I'm cutting the workout, for example. In these progressions where you continually hit similar workouts of similar durations and setups, allow yourself the grace, if you're not racing tomorrow, for example, like or this week, to approach things, like you said, with a rev limiter so that there's room for growth. Yes, you're still going to benefit if you're holding back from your capabilities in a workout session. It's going to extend the allure of that simple and boring session out further by knowing there's something next to strive for that's better than what I did the previous week. That could mean getting slightly faster intentionally and holding back in week one. It could mean running the exact same in week two, but shortening your rest by 15 seconds. It could mean a whole myriad of things that are going to keep your fitness progressing while also keeping you engaged with those minor, minor little tweaks. But it all starts with generally giving yourself a cushion in the beginning so you have somewhere to go from there versus racing your first workout on the calendar. And then what the heck do you do from there? I think that's a big component of it. You following me there? 100%. And basically there's, there's two schools of thought I think people would say there's many more, but it's, are you running goal pace? Are you running what you can currently do on this 
point in time pace. And that determines how many reps you're going to run. Mm-hmm. If it is, I'm going to run a 159 marathon, <clears throat> the 10K pace equivalent to that is 236 per thousand, or probably not 10K equivalent, but for this workout, 236 per thousand, I'm running 236 per thousand. And however many reps I get until I exceed my perceived effort limiter or heart rate or lactate uh, millimole limiter is what I go with. I got four reps week one. Cool. Going for five reps week week three. And then let's say you're alternating weeks between thousands and something else version of that. But each week you're just trying to gain a rep or gain ease at which you do the reps you did. You might do four reps for week one and week two and just try to do them better on week two. But you're progressing out as long as possible. Or you choose, I'm running the effort or the pace I can run right now. And whatever that is, that is. I don't care if it's not 159 equivalent pace. Maybe it's 206 equivalent pace right now, but I'm getting as many reps as I can at this. I'm hitting this no matter what. And I'll adjust the pace to keep the effort. I'm getting my 10 to 12 reps. I'm not going to let volume build throughout time. I'm going to let the pace build as I get there. And usually either one ends up both happen. The pace gets a little better and the reps get a little bit longer. But you want to scale it out so that you can improve for as long as possible. It's kind of like weightlifting where it's like if I want to add five pounds per week, it's probably better to start a little under where I should be to extend the period of time that I'm going to work at this progression. Because if I'm at 95% of my capabilities or 100%, I'm improving. But if I start at 100%, I can only improve for six weeks. Whereas if I start at 90 to 95, I'm still improving, but I can improve for 10 weeks. That's the concept here. And I think people misunderstand the simple fact that if they aren't working their hardest, they're still progressing. Mm -hmm. Meaning holding back somewhat, planning, hey, I'm doing six reps this week. I'm going to do seven next week, eight next week. But in week one, I could do eight reps. I feel like I could keep going. I could do more. So I'm just not going to get better because I'm choosing to practice self-restraint or, you know, tact approaching these workouts tactfully. That's not the case. Like if you go back to threshold training, we have a range, right? Whether let's say you run in the upper end or the lower end of your lactate threshold, you're still buffering lactate and you're still getting benefit from that session. So not turning yourself inside out every time you put up, you know, step on the track or hit a quality day doesn't mean like you're going to be slowing your progression. In fact, it might be the right way to progress more by the end of the season versus cornering yourself early. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't plan on honing in on that, but I think it's important uh, to state. Yeah. And and so then let's pivot over to the double threshold. That's the biggest thing in the world yeah. right now in the sport of endurance. Triathletes are using it. Biathletes are using it. Uh, Nordic athletes are using it. Track athletes, cross-country marathoners. It's sweeping the globe right now. It is the simplest workout version that I've heard about in decades, which is part of why it's so questioned by coaches and part of why it's so easy to implement once you grasp what's happening. Part of the reason why there are skeptics is because it seems too simple to be magic. And I think people need to stop looking for magic, but here is the double threshold training. This is all it is. Twice per week, you do a session where in the AM, you do medium long intervals. Anywhere from three to seven minutes is the most common. Three to six is most common. Extending to seven or nine is not uncommon. But let's just say three to six minutes even to narrow the scope. And then in the evening, you do half or less duration intervals at a higher pace. So if AM is 
three to six minute intervals at, let's say, half marathon or marathon pace. PM is 45 to 90 second intervals at 10K pace. You do that twice per week. That's the entire program. Now, they add a third session. This is where Marius Bakken started experimenting with everything under the sun. And the third session is what he calls the X session. And that is where you balance out the stimulus. For the Ingebrigtsens, it's 200-meter hill reps times roughly 20 at like 800-meter to mile effort. It's balancing out the only running moderately fast. For marathoners, it's a long run. For triathletes, it's a really long brick day or a five-hour ride or something. It's balancing out the other end of the spectrum with what you will need intensity-wise from your goal race, and it changes throughout the year what that thing is. But that's it. That's all it is. It is four quality sessions crammed into two and done all a notch or two slower than you'd normally do those sessions. And that's exactly the point I was going to make then is to put these in layman's metrics if your time base is tough. Mile repeats in the morning, but more comfortable than you would think of mile repeats. You're going to get done with your six by a mile and they take pretty short rests on these as well. Maybe six by a mile with a minute rest. Right. They're going to take short rest on these and they're going to be comfortable. Like six by a mile at half marathon pace, you might even be conversational with the buddy next to you all the way through the session. You're going to be working, Mm -hmm. but not like the dreadful kind of pain. Right. And then you're going to rest up, eat, and then you're going to go to the afternoon and you might do quarter mile repeats with 90 seconds rest or 60 seconds rest again. And again, you're going to run just a notch below what you typically would think for a standalone hate my life inside out session. It's going to be work, but it's going to be comfortable work. You're just far enough away from the flame so it doesn't burn you too much and you can stay there without Mm -hmm. hating your life. And that's why it's then you can duplicate that again two or three days later in a different version of the same session because you didn't ruin yourself and you got a lot of time working the appropriate metabolic system. So that's sort of the glory behind the double threshold training. That's why Jakob Ingebrigtsen says, don't train so hard. Back off in training. What he means is like he's not going to the well in training. It's often controlled, calculated sessions. He hurts, actually hurts in training once per week, which is kind of mind-blowing by by runner standards. Mm -hmm. But it is. If he's running half marathon to marathon pace thousands in the morning, and then the second time in the week he's doing it at half marathon. Let's say he's doing marathon pace, six-minute reps in the morning, one time per week, and then 15K, three-minute reps one time per week. And you're doing... 30 to 40 minutes of that session, that is child's play. That's not a what you would call standard quality session feeling. And then the evening, you're running 10 to 15 by 400 at 10K pace. People will do that at mile to 3K pace. So none of right. these sessions are hard. It just allows him to, like you said, his quote, our goal is to run as fast as possible as often as possible. It's not our goal is to run as fast as possible. That would put you on the x-axis here. And then as, po- as often mm-hmm. as possible, you'd run slow and you'd be on the y-axis here. He's going the intercept of those two points. Where can I get the most often fast running? We're going to do this. We can do it all the time. So, But the, the key to it, what we're talking about today, is less of the science behind it and more of the how repeatable it is. He's running essentially mm-hmm. four, five types of interval sessions all year round. They only stopped doing that a few weeks before important track races and they start putting in key track workouts. I would say out of the 52 weeks, they're probably doing this for 38 to 40 of them, 
which means he doesn't have the typical periodized training because he's not overloading in any one that he has to make up for by compensating rest and modulating intensity. He sits in the most sustainable bang for your buck all year round and then sharpens up to track race pace. That's it. Mm-hmm. So for 40 weeks of the year, he's running the same five workouts over and over this, and over. And something not discussed, but that approach, the let's run comfortably hard approach, we'll call it. Like we're never overextending to the point where we're reaching at the end of intervals. Or not never, but not as often as we think we should, is the accrued volume that happens. Mm-hmm. Like could I do could I do four by a thousand meters at like all out fastest average pace for four and then be totally smoked? Sure. Or could I do 12 by 1,000 meters, accrue three times the volume, spend how much more time in threshold? Like what is going to get you more juice out of the squeeze, right? Right. So you become sort of a quality like mileage monster as well where your body just gets comfortable running at like an improved rate of work and you just become able, more able. Why do you think his range is so good? Because he's got so much volume running semi-quick constantly yeah at least that's my take and and what goes hand in hand with that is that because he's doing the same type of workout endlessly he's gotten really good at doing the workout which can be really bad if it's a hate yourself type of workout and you're only gauging yourself by how much faster you get or farther you make it and that's the only metric well you can get good at gaming the workout but because they're not trying to game the workout, they're trying to do some internal systems work during it, and they're measuring lactate on every single or every other rep, then the better you get at doing that type of work, the longer you can spend at it with less cost. And so you can get all the internal benefits without taking the damage, and you can do more of them and more often. And if you end each workout, like they do, at the same place each time, you're always anticipating the next workout rather than dreading it and because they're doing the same five workouts essentially over and over and over they are very quick to notice micro changes in fitness or in health and as soon as things aren't going well they notice it extremely quickly and you adapt right away because i've done this workout 40 times this year i know when something's going wrong and i can quickly pinpoint why it's going wrong and we can catch it right now where if you have 32 different workouts that you're doing, you may only get through them twice each, each year. How do you even pick out, oh, I think something's going weird with my training. You have to wait two, three, five weeks before you can accurately gauge that, yeah, I am off on something. And so pros mm-hmm. crave repeatability so that they can accurately identify the moment something's going wrong. And I think another thing about that style, repeatability, using the uh, Ingebrigtsen's for, as the example, as you're laying like a very functional foundation when you train that way. And you can literally be like the start of their season. He may be, yeah, I hit my first like true quality race prep session last week. In three weeks, you can go from like, okay, I'm strong and durable to I'm strong, durable, and now I can access my top speed. You can sharpen and be ready to perform at an A race at a three weeks notice mm-hmm. on something like this a re- repeatability and your body then is going to respond like a monster when you change to over speed training from something like this because it's got such a platform to spring off of and so it's like not a big rush to get to the the cute fast 
feel good over speed training stuff because really if you laid the proper foundation with your quality work it can happen in the snap of a finger and three weeks yeah. is the snap of a finger when you really take a step back and look at it mm-hmm. so and then we take a look i mean we could keep going down the rabbit hole and name people off hobie call for example who is the greatest or top two or three however you want to split it obstacle course racers of all time had like five to seven total workouts at his disposal. He basically did the same week, every week, all year round. Because he knew what it did mm-hmm. for him and he could accurately see what he needed to change. He told me once, he's like, all I do is micro changes and I live for it. I live for making that one micro tweak to a workout and seeing how far I can take that before I have to micro tweak again. And you would could you could probably argue that he was the most prepared for racing that we'd ever seen. He just always knew exactly what he was bringing to the table and he was a master of race execution. And part of that is because his workouts were built exactly around the tools he would need for race day and he had perfected using them by doing each one of them 20 to 30 times per year. So when he got to race day, it's like, yeah, I haven't done this thing, but I've done all the components of this 20 times already. I know exactly what to mm-hmm. do here. Well, let's take a very simple, let's say, because we don't use them often, let's say half mile repeats. Mm-hmm. For most people, that gets them in the two and a half to five minute range. Let's yes. just say. So we're in the sweet spot there, right? Let's just take that workout and for the people say, you know, we're t- saying boring is best. What would be different ways you could make take 800 meter repeats to hit different energy systems? I think you could. I think you could make an entire training plan around yes. 800 meter repeats and be prepared for anything from the mile to the marathon if you were if you jigged them appropriately. Well, so exactly I think we should just it, maybe outline right? a few. In order for a normal non psychotic or obsessed person to train all year round there has to be variation some people really love it love the 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 simple repetition but other people just need it and so yeah if we're having this three to six minute window and let's just call it 800 meters for the average person that three to four minute window how do we gamify this and change it without changing the workout well we know we want to accrue 25 to 40 minutes of time spent working on our reps and we want the reps to be three to four minutes long you start changing what the reps look like easiest way kirk obviously is to change the pace slightly and change the rest slightly if we want to work at threshold and if we know threshold is 40 to 60 minutes that's probably three different race distances and paces in those 40 to 60 minutes for us that would be 10k pace if we were on a trail that would be half marathon pace for an elite so let's call it for us 20k pace on the roads and 15k on smooth trails so suddenly you can run three different paces by choosing three different terrains we can run 800s on the track with 60 seconds rest and we are at the fast end of threshold we can run three minute reps or 800 meter reps on rolling trails on 60 seconds rest and now we're running the slow end of spectrum and we can get on a cross country course and run 800 meter reps and we're right in the middle so when we've now gone three weeks of running 800 meter reps we haven't even changed the rest yet by just by changing the terrain we're working different parts of that threshold spectrum and each workout hits your mind a hundred percent different running track reps versus 
a trail rep does not feel like the same workout, even though you haven't changed the setting on your watch once. Yeah. We have a little bit of a delay. It's funny to watch you talk and your, your mouth is moving at a different, uh, <laughs> so that's the first place. I, I don't know if I have it. a delay now too, but if someone needed variation mm-hmm. and I didn't want to change the workout one time, I would tell them 800 <clears throat> meter reps on the track week one, 300 or three, three minute reps on a technical trail week two. And let's go with uh, 700 meter reps on a cross country course week three. It's going to be the same duration for all three. And you're not going to have any clue that you're running the same workout. Yeah. And to talk about the other end of the spectrum, taking something as simple as 800 meter reps, like let's say you were training for a mile and mile race, you might do 800 meter repeats where you progress through each hundred and then you kick home the last 200 and sub 30, for example, I'm going to hit the 400 at 65. I'm going to hit my next 200 at 30 and I'm going to kick home in a, in a 28. Like if you're Mm -hmm. top end elite, for example, and then I'm gonna take five minutes rest. I'm gonna do it again. Like I'm gonna take it like somewhere you can allow yourself to run as fast as race pace. Or if you're training for the marathon, you could take Tyler Germans three, two float intervals and make them half mile on quarter mile float. You could do Mm -hmm. that for 75 minutes, half mile at marathon race pace, quarter mile slower, 45 seconds slower back and forth for 75 minutes. What I do, I took the same workout Half mile is the focus, 800 meter repeats. And I extended one out to 70 minutes and gave you no rest and said a quarter mile float. And the other one, I gave you five minutes of standing rest. We haven't done any, it's still 800 meter reps. It's just wild what we can do. And so deviating and making cute workouts uh, can happen by tweaking all the nuances within the distance of the rep. Yeah. So probably the most common way I tweak this myself to give to athletes and anyone who I've worked with is going to have some version of this. If I think three to six minutes is the sweet spot right around in there, I do a really simple progression. I do. And I've said this on here before I do three minute, five minute, seven minute, three minute. That's my four step progression. And then I double it if I need to extend the progression out. And so week one is three minutes flat, three minutes on 60 seconds off. Week two is three minutes trail or uphill three minutes on 60 seconds off. Now they've hit the same duration twice, but on two different versions. And it does not feel the same in week two. Your goal is to match the effort of the pace you were running week one. And then we move up to five flat, five uphill, seven flat, seven uphill. And then the final week we move back down to the three minute reps to tie it all together and feel how much we've progressed from seven weeks ago. And some people, mm-hmm. they go three, five, seven, and then we'll do one, two, three, fart lake. Or we'll do one minute, two minute, three minute reps, and then one, two, three, fart lake. Or three, four, five, fart lake. Or two, four, six, fart lake. All of these average out to the same time spent doing the same thing. But just by doubling them up in alternating flat weeks and trail or flat and uphill, you've now doubled the amount of time you can do it before you even notice the progression. And then by instead of just doing three minute or five minute or seven minute reps, like every single week, like the Ingebrigtsens do three and six every single week, essentially, then you decide I'm going to average those times throughout the course of the training block by going above and under, over, under, over, under throughout the block. So that three, five, seven is super common and I use it for myself. But at the end of the block, I spent seven weeks averaging roughly five minutes per rep with 60 seconds rest. And it didn't feel like I did the same thing every week, but my engine didn't know there was any difference. Mm. Well, yeah. And 
you know, for anybody who's been doing this for a while, like you start to realize it's always about playing the long game here. And living week to week is tough. Like, what's the next shiny thing I'll chase this week? And, ooh, that looks good. I'm going to do that one. And then, ooh, this one looks good. I'm going to do that one. One, there's not really a good way to track progress there. And then you kind of, you don't know how you're doing until you time trial or race, for example. But also playing the long game, like Bracken just drew out a cycle that lasted in, what, two, four, six eight weeks we'll say mm-hmm. and then a reset week or two and then he, what what happens bracken you might go back and start back again at three you might yeah. do threes for two weeks five sevens hit three to finish to see the progress play around for a week with maybe some 400 meter repeats or one one two three fart lick something just as a reset or a big long tempo mm-hmm. run and then you go right back to three again and you start the progression again and then you go oh look i ran my three minute intervals four seconds faster per interval per mile. Holy smokes. And you can draw this out. This is not days or weeks. This is months and years game. If you're doing this, listening to this podcast, like this is a long-term thing and anything that can keep you on the hook for a long cycle like that while progressing is way better than closing your eyes, picking a workout out of a hat. So it's shiny and new every time. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. And you can get as, as, as creative as you want with this. You can do block one. We're doing six weeks. We're doing one, one, two, two, three, three. And then the next week we're doing two or the next block, it's two, four, six. And then we're going three, five, seven. And then we're going four, six, eight. Alternate between odds and evens with your interval rep range. Or, and I've done this when people are like, I need some track work. And we've been doing three, five, seven on the treadmill and on the trails. It's like, all right, let's head to the track. We got something new coming your way. 800,000, 1200 progression. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's three, four, five, or that's four, six, eight, you know, that's three, five, seven. It's the same work. We're just doing it in meters now instead of minutes, but our mind can wrap itself around, oh, we have a new stimulus where your engine's getting the exact same thing. So do one block on minutes, the next on meters, one block on odd minutes, the next one on yards. It doesn't matter. But as long as the key to all of this is you have to stick with the principle of what the workout's trying to do. If you're trying to work, and for all these, we're talking about lactate threshold training right now and these, these comments about these examples of three to seven minute reps with one minute to a minute and a half recovery, those kind of things. If you're going to gamify whatever you're going to do, you have to stick with the intended duration and intensity and you just put different makeup on it. Even Tyler Germans 3-2 workout for 70 minutes. On the threes, you're spending 40 minutes doing that. And on the twos, you're spending 30 minutes, which means you're at the high end of how much time you would spend. But the threes are going to be at the slow end of threshold anyway. And the twos add up to more time spent mm-hmm. resting than usual, but you're working a little faster than normal rest. You're still in the same realm of what the system and engine type of work that you were going to be doing with 10 to 12 by three on one off. It's the same style of workout, but it is entirely different, entirely different, but it's the same system. And that's the key. You have to trick yourself without changing what you're actually doing. It's when you go from 10 by three minutes at 15K to 10 by 400 at mile pace to 10 by mile at marathon, that's when you start to lose your way of what am I even working on. But if you go 100 by 100, 100 reps of 100 meter dash at 10K pace, that is the same workout as 10 by 1,000 at 10k pace it's just split up much differently and you probably wouldn't ever do that but you're working on the same style of thing but that is not 
the same workout to your mind and body, even though systemically it is. So as we work on wrapping this up, I want to know if that was your way of addressing the workout ADD person, the one who needs the shiny object, so to speak, to Chase. Is that the start of that conversation? Like, what do you suggest more specifically? Like all the things we've been talking about, like still work in the same in the same general time frame. Still hit the intended stimulus instead of going from two hundred meter repeats to five mile tempo runs all at different paces and prescriptions and intensities and you're kind of just a mixed bag you would suggest what you're talking about find different ways to spend the appropriate amount of time where you should in each in each workout like could you just explain that a little further your thought process yeah number one you identify what is the boring training that the best minds and athletes on earth have proven to work? And you script out what is the time domain, what is the intensity? And then you can do anything you want as long as you check those two boxes. If every week they're running 10 by 1,000, 10 to 12, 10 to 15 by 1,000, you're sitting in that 30 to 40 minutes of work. Let's call it 25 to 40 for a lot of these things. As long as I'm getting 25 to 40 minutes of work at that range, 10k to marathon pace let's call it 15k to half marathon some of the time 10k on the fast end marathon on the slow end if you're within one standard deviation at all times you're not compromising your system's work you're not doing that so as long as you can check those two boxes you can dress it up any way you want 45 seconds rest all the way up to nine 10 minute reps if you want to you just balance the equation if it's a 10 minute rest i'm only doing three to or rep i'm only doing three to four minute three to four reps if it's one minute reps well i'm doing 25 to 40 reps that's just what it is and if i want to fart lick it then it changes a little i probably go a little slower on the on and a little faster on the off than i would do on standing rest and regular running but you start with what's proven to be true and then you keep moving one more deviation away from how boring and routine it is. And you stick with the smallest step away to start with. And then you take another step away and then another step. And then you can reset back to the middle. But yeah, I think you identify the qualities of the workout. And then you do anything you want in order to still hit those two. I will say this makes me proud of those on our running public training plan. Because you and I scripted out very purposeful progressions, you know, split tempo A, split tempo B, very similar but layered in additional stimulus. Mm -hmm. Some of the quality sessions were different variations of the same thing to induce progression. But I haven't heard many complaints about the one results and two simplicity of it. I think the, the minds on those on our running public training plan have understood the progression. I've gotten a number of messages about the improved fitness. A lot of people have been seeing, which mm -hmm. is great. But um, for those of you on a running public training plan, you probably see a version of what we're talking about when yes. you really step back and look at the weeks and months. It's what we. I mean, it's we believe in it. That's why we're prescribing it. But just made me think about. I haven't heard. I've heard very little complaining about that. Have you? No, we have eight week macro cycles that hit four workouts mm -hmm. and then repeat a different version of them. So you're doing eight weeks of the same exact workout. With different rep scheme. Yeah. Not to plug the plan, but to plug the plan. It yeah. is, it's in there. If you're like, I don't know what to do with what these guys are saying, sort of. Like, you're like, oh, like we're talking specifics, but also theory, kind of mashing it together. We haven't been perfectly articulate, but we're helping you understand the general sentiment, right? Like, yeah. okay, like just go hop on the plan. Like, it'll show, it'll show you the way. Then you don't have to think about it. We'll show you purposeful, semi-boring is best progression. Yeah, and I just loaded up a full month in there, which is rare. Usually I do two weeks at a time. So if you want to hop on and see what a month mm -hmm. of 
doing the same thing but different looks like. Look on there. And and this is we haven't even begun to scratch the surface of all the ways to gamify a workout. We haven't even talked compromised running. Right. You can take every single one of these workouts and take 10 seconds to 60 seconds of something else prior to each run and cut the run 30% shorter and you've got a new workout. You do 30 seconds of lunges and then a three-minute run, that's an entirely different workout. But now instead of working at 10K pace on the run, you work at half marathon or marathon, it's the same workout. But it's entirely different, and it's probably going to round your fitness out. Mm-hmm. So now you add in a compromised version of every mm-hmm. workout, and you can double your your progression again. There's a million ways to change a boring workout into a different type of workout that's boring at its core in the best way, but is palatable to the ADHD runner. And maybe we have to do a full episode dedicated to the million ways to change a boring workout. For example, that might just be a good one to throw on the end of this. Okay. I don't know if people would be interested. Sick a mile repeats, here's our twist. So I don't know. might be interesting. I've come up with a few over the years. I'm sure you yeah. have too, but for another day. Maybe that'll be Anything the else you want to layer on top of what we already talked about? series is we will just take like two workouts <clears throat> and give 10 versions of it. Mm-hmm. I think that'd be really helpful for people too, because I think people understand theory very well. And then, you know, because we do talk about a bit of that and then putting it into practice is the hardest part, like actually yeah. writing the workout down on paper and curating it exactly. And so that would be fun. Um, anything you want to add as we wrap up? No, I want to wrap up by repeating what we said at the beginning to really drive it home. Oftentimes as athletes, we worry that if there's not enough novel, new approaches to the training, that we can't improve when the exact opposite is generally the the truth. The longer you can go without introducing new variables, the longer you can sustain an improvement progression and the easier it is to see when the new progression is needed, when stagnation is occurring, when a variable is needed to be worked on, changed, altered. If you're constantly changing and altering, it's really difficult to track progress. The simpler the workout, the better. And all the best coaches on the planet are going to give you a workout progression that doesn't look sexy on paper. If you're getting something and you say, I need more complicated, I need sexier, I need more variation, you might be the problem in a way that you're just not fully understanding how to get better the best way. And your coach, if he's a great or she is a great coach, will give you back the exact same workouts dressed up differently. And that's okay. But it means you're working Mm -hmm. with someone good if they give you something basic. Basic always works really, really well. Could not have said it better myself. I think that's a great note to wrap it up on. Excellent. We literally have had, I don't know, on your end, I've had like a five-second delay on On your end. Am I talking in real time to you? You're talking in real time, but when I stop talking, I count to like four and then you start or you'll start talking in a point where it doesn't make any sense why you'd be interrupting me now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. I don't know why that popped up. It's probably me. It's always me. It's not you. It's me. The most Um, disconcerting part is when I say something that I know you'll react to and I just get this dull look on your face. Like, oh, he didn't. mm -mm, That's not for him. And then like, four, five, <laughs> and then you'll grin or scowl or something. That's funny. Yeah. Technology. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We'll continue this. We're going to keep clearing the waters, I think, on all this in the next, you know, two or three weeks, depending if we go two or three more episodes. But uh, appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you, n- see you later this week for our uh, long run episode. 
Mm-hmm. Should I say the next two episodes of this this series, or do we leave them waiting? Tell them. Workouts you do that make no sense. And then the best scientific training versus the best training for you personally. Those are the next two episodes. Order to be determined. <laughs> so you can look forward to that. We'll see you guys later this week. Thank you.